Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is Charlotte, and I'm your guest host, and thanks for joining me at the canteen. This week, Pastor Blake is going to take us through Luke 9, 18 through 27. Let's listen together and dive in with Blake. I want to encourage you to find your Bible or your phone and find Luke chapter 9. We're going to be, we were in Luke, we started Luke 9 last week. We're going to continue to be there for the next few weeks. Um, and, and really, uh, honestly, this is kind of like a two-part sermon. So uh, I'm going to get you at the beginning. Come back next week, and we'll pick it up and, and kind of transition into this. But um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. While you flip there, um, let me just encourage you, if this is your first time, we're glad that you're here with us. In your bulletin, uh, there's a little QR code that's uh, a connection to our digital connect card. Uh, you can scan that and let us know you were here. We'd love to get to know you and your story. Or you can stop by the connect desk right there in the corner on the way out. But we are glad you're here. Our mission, our mission's simple. Join Jesus and going out to make disciples. Join, go, make. We want to keep doing it again and again and again. And, uh, and so we would love to share more about that uh, with you. But also uh, dream with you about how the Lord might be including you in that, all right? So um, you can find all kinds of ways to do that at our website, loveshowville.com. And one quick plug, we had a lot of babies in our church this week. So yeah, woo, the church grew, and you didn't even, you know, like it's crazy. So um, on the website, some of those meal plans for those new families, they're starting tomorrow. That's a great way to bless families. We try to do that as much as we can. So make sure you jump on there and bless the wards and the murphys and the crows all right so we're excited for them and their new little ones and uh, we want to love on them the best we can so all right let's jump into god's word and then ask him to speak to us luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 18 while jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him he asked them who do the crowd say i am and they answered John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. But Jesus strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. And then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach us the word of God this morning. That you would run it deep into who we are, that it would divide between joint and marrow, that it would cut through to the truth of your grace. 
Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Christmas uh, at the lawyer household was the year of the Lego. Uh, every kid plus Caitlin received a Lego set of some kind. I'm not sure how I ended up left out of that one, but you know, it happened. So she got this really cool Friends Lego set. It's amazing. But there, I mean, there are worse things that you can do than have Lego building marathons during those days of Christmas break. It was pretty fun. Everybody's got their sets out in different places across the living room. Everybody's building their Legos. And I'm helping Magnolia. And as I'm helping Magnolia, there was this constant, repeated question. Dad, what's next? <laughs> and so we'd look at the instructions dig through and you'd find the piece you'd snap it in and before i'm telling you before if you know magnolia you know this is true before that snap of the piece had left your ears the question rang out again dad what's next dad what's next until that thing was built and then when they were all built it was dad what's next little girl loves to ask the question what's next and the same is true for you and i even if you aren't a future-oriented person, when we're building something, when, when we see something growing, maybe in us or around us, we always want to know what's next. Like, what's our next step? How, how do we move forward? How do we get from point A to point B? And so as we come to this text here in verse 18, Jesus and his disciples have been laying the groundwork for God's kingdom. They, they can sense that it's building if you followed along with us uh, over the last few weeks, we've started to see this shift in, in the, the gospel story, in the story of Jesus. Because now, instead of Jesus just walking around and people following him and him calling in disciples, he's starting to go outside of his home area. He crossed the sea. And, and then, like, he sent his disciples out to share the good news and heal people. They are now doing ministry. And so there's some things like there's this anticipation that the kingdom is being built. The kingdom is coming. Just last week, we talked about when the disciples returned, Jesus miraculously feeds these crowds with five loaves and two fish. And so coming off of that miracle, coming off of being sent out, resting with Jesus, I mean, the disciples are getting kind of amped up. God, what's next? What's next? And that sets the scene for what we read in Luke 9.18. While Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him. I'm going to take a little aside here because I think it's important for the life of Christ's community. And there could probably be a whole sermon on this, but we won't go there. But here's the thing. I want us to notice really quickly that, that Jesus initiates what's next from a place of prayer. There could be, like I said, a whole sermon on that. But suffice it to say that if we are eager in our lives or as a church to know what's next, if we're hungry to take a next step with Jesus, then we should initiate from a place of prayer. One way we're doing that together is uh, last month, our leadership teams, our pastor elders and our deacon team and our staff team, we all got together, we, we ate together, shared life together, and um, we ask ourselves, as we're, we're searching for this question of what's next, we wanted to start and initiate from a place of, of prayer. And we have, if we're honest, we have some of that same anticipation and eagerness that I think we see in the disciples here. And so as Jesus initiates from a place of prayer, we want to as well. We want what we're praying for over these next few months to, to both unite us and initiate what's next. And so there are 31 prayers that our teams have come together and said, we want to be praying these prayers together, one for each day of the month that we're praying. 
And we want to invite you into that just as like a, like I said, an aside to this whole sermon. You can pick up a hard copy at the Connect desk on your way out or it's on loveshelbyville.com uh, right now, all right? So, so grab that and just, just pray with us about what's next. But today, I want us to think a little bit more personally for just a little bit, like, what's next for you? Like, you, you come to church today and who knows what your week held? Maybe it was good, maybe it was bad. Maybe something's building, maybe it seems like nothing is growing around you. I don't, I don't know, but, but you're asking, like, man, what's, what's next in life for me right now? Maybe you're asking questions about what do we need to do as a family, like as we, start, as we try to start a family or grow our family. Maybe, maybe you're, sadly, I'll, I'll say it quietly, starting to think about school starting. And for some of you, that's like a new level of school. You're going to middle school for the first time. You're going to high school. You're going to college. And, and you're wondering, what's next? What do I need to do to be ready for, for what's next? We have a lot of people here today who have, have been coming from Midland Community Church, and, and they're going through this interesting season where maybe you guys are asking, which church family am I going to be part of next? Like, th there are all these what's next questions. Some of them good, some of them bad. Like, man, my marriage has hit that window. That five to ten year window where the new and shiny is wearing off and you're secretly wondering what's next. Like, is there anything left here? How can we grow this thing instead of letting it wither away? Maybe some of you are like on the other side of those things and, and like something new is already building. A new season of life has started, but now you've hit a little roadblock and you're like, how do I get from point A to point B? Like, God, what's what's next? The anticipation of what's next builds some excitement that, that we often enjoy, but sometimes it leaves us feeling a little flat, sometimes a little frustrated even. I want us to look in again on the disciples. While, while he was praying in private and the disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? Well, that kind of feels like a strange question. Like we were expecting Jesus to come out of this time of prayer and be like, here's what's next. But he asks them this question, so trusting that Jesus is leading them to what's next with the question, they answered. John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back. And he says, no, 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 you, who do you say that I am? This is a good time to remember that Luke is writing to a guy named Theophilus. And he's writing, right, so that, he, so that Theophilus and any who would read this gospel could be certain about Christ. That's what we're calling the whole study through the book, book of Luke, certain about Christ. Well, if the idea of being certain about Christ was represented by a question, wouldn't that question be, who do you say that I am? So this is an important question. This is like the tipping point of Luke's gospel. And Peter answers the major question that Luke is asking. Who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, God's Messiah. And then we read into verse 21. But Jesus strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, it's necessary that the Son of Man suffer things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. It's frustrating when we know the answer, but we don't understand what's next, isn't it? Have you been there? When you know the answer, like you know what needs to happen, but you don't understand what's next. 
Because you see, being certain about Christ isn't just about knowing the answer. Being certain about something implies that we know how to apply that answer to our lives. Here's, here's what I mean. When I was playing football competitively, I could watch film of the opponent, tell you exactly what defense they were playing, exactly what play to run to beat them, and I could even tell you what I needed to do, what my part was in running the play. And because I could do that, my coaches assumed I knew how to do that on the field. That wasn't always a good assumption. Put me on the field to execute all that, and most times, analysis paralysis won. You know what happens when analysis paralysis wins on the football field? You get tackled a lot. And I did. When that was true, right, it showed that, that I wasn't as certain about the plays as I thought I was. I knew them. I knew the answer. But I didn't always understand what was next. The same is true in our spiritual lives, you see. You may know the answers to some hard questions about Jesus and our faith. Maybe you geek out on what they call apologetics, and, and you can answer all these questions, and you can know those things and yet still be paralyzed to live your life with a certainty that, that Jesus really does have a better plan for your life than you do. You may know that you need to take a certain next step. Maybe it's getting baptized. Maybe it's getting in a, gr like getting in a group. It's, it's reading the Bible. Like you may know that you need to do those things, but you're wrestling with all the implications of what comes after that or because of that. James 4.17 brings some light to this tension that we often experience. In James 4.17, we read this. So it's sin to know the good and yet not do it. Like, boom, gut punch. But this is really important. Because you see, with sin often comes shame. And you know how we often mask our shame? With anger and frustration. So we now understand why it's really frustrating when we know the answer, but we don't always understand what's next. Our anger is oftentimes because we don't understand what's next or understand how to do what's next. And you know what? It was frustrating for Peter, too, when he knew the answer. You are God's Messiah. But then he didn't have a clue what Jesus was talking about when he said, don't tell anybody this, and oh, by the way, I'm on my way to be killed. Do what? Jesus, you are the Messiah, but I don't understand what's next. We learn from Mark's gospel that the conversation between Peter and Jesus in this moment actually got a little heated. Mark 8, 32 says, Jesus spoke openly about this, this idea that he was going to suffer and be rejected and be crucified. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Rebuking Jesus on anybody's bucket list today? <laughs> like, do what? I can't imagine being in an argument with Jesus. But Peter's like, Jesus, this can't be the plan. This can't be what's next. I don't understand. You're the Messiah. Can't you do something to change it? Don't we think that way about a lot of things in life? I don't understand why this is happening. Aren't you God? Aren't you good? Can't you change this situation? I want us to hear Jesus' response to Peter when he rebuked him. Verse 33, Peter's taken Jesus aside, starts to rebuke him. 
And over here in their little huddle, it says Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter. (laughs) And he said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Isn't it interesting that as soon as we don't like or we don't understand what God says, our concerns immediately shift to ourself. We stop thinking about God's concerns, we stop thinking about God's plans, and we start thinking about our own. Never mind the fact that Jesus was going to suffer and die. I'm not going to be empathetic towards that if I'm Peter. I'm worried about the fact that now, all of a sudden, following Jesus is going to cost me. There's a lot of times in our lives where we know what needs to happen. Justin talked about this. We don't know how to navigate what's next. It's frustrating to know that if I want my kid to walk with the Lord, I'm going to have to teach them how. But sometimes I don't have any clue where to start because I've never had someone do that with me. It's frustrating to know that if I want to save my marriage, I'm going to have to forgive my spouse. But I don't have any clue to start with that, like where to start with that, because the pain that I'm feeling is still very real. It's frustrating to know that if I want to get out of debt, I'm going to have to curb my spending and make some really tough choices. But I don't know where to start with cutting my expenses. Like, what am I supposed to cut out? It's frustrating to know that that I need to read God's Word, but I don't have any clue where to start or what this means or how to do it. It's frustrating to know that my friend doesn't know Jesus and spiritually lost and yet be lost when it comes to helping them start a relationship with Jesus. Like, how do I do that? It's frustrating to know that to beat addiction or a bad habit, I need community and accountability. I know that. But I don't know how to invite that or where to find people who can walk with me in that. It's frustrating sometimes to know that you need to grieve and yet be uncertain about what will happen when you let those raw emotions come out of you. So I want us to think differently for just a few moments about what Jesus says to his disciples. Because you see, I think most of us are a lot like Peter in this situation. We rush so quickly to what this means for us that we miss the grace of what Jesus is saying. We miss the beauty of what Jesus says because we rush to what it costs us. Jesus says, it's necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm going to suffer and die and be resurrected first. I'm going first. Why? So that you can follow me to what's next for you. Look at verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross daily and follow me. What an invitation. What an invitation to follow Jesus. But follow him to to suffering and to rejection and death? Why would I want to follow Jesus? 
Well, you see, where we see rejection, Jesus sees resurrection. Where we see long-suffering, Jesus sees new life. So Jesus' invitation to follow him isn't some sick death wish. It's an invitation to experience resurrection, to experience life in the place of death. Church, what if the ways that you feel like you are dying today are actually the places Jesus will bring new life tomorrow? And he's inviting you to follow him into that. You know, like this just seems so, so far away, so far removed from my feelings right now. That feels like too big of a mountain to climb. Things are just so dark. You have no idea the hopelessness that exists in my situation and the things that I'm wrestling with right now. But I would say to you that Jesus knows that the journey to resurrection is so difficult that he went first. It's necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. He had to go first so that you could follow him to the resurrection. Colossians 1.18 gives us an even better picture, a clearer picture of what it means that Jesus goes first in all things. It says that Jesus is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. If you want to experience life in the place of death, Jesus is the head of the body. He went first. He's leading you. If you want to experience life in the place of death, Jesus is the beginning. He is where you start. If you want to experience life in the place of death, Jesus was the first one to conquer death, to beat it. He'll show you the way. If you want to experience life in the place of death, Jesus can take you all the way to the finish line because he's come to have first place in everything. He knows the way. Will you follow him? Will you follow him? Jesus always goes first. So follow him into suffering, trusting that resurrection is on the other side. Move forward without losing faith. Move forward without losing faith. You're like, okay, Blake, I think I'm following why, why, like what you're saying in terms of we're following Jesus to resurrection and, that, and you know, we have to go through suffering to get to the resurrection, but how? How do we do this? Jesus shows us the way. Think about what's next for Jesus in this moment, in this time. He's telling the disciples right here, here's what's next. I've, I'm going to have to suffer, be rejected, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to be resurrected. Now look at what Jesus tells the disciples is next for them in Luke 9, 23 and 24. He says to them, if you want to follow me, let him deny himself. There's some suffering there. Let him take up his cross daily, a death of sorts, and follow me to the resurrection, right? For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Do you see the pattern there? That we move forward without losing faith by suffering and denying self, taking up our cross, dying to ourself, and then being resurrected. I want to think about those three things real quickly before we finish up today. First, denying self. I don't know about yourself, but myself wants a lot of things. Amen? A couple of yourselves wants some things. Here's some things I want. I want to eat good meals. I want to have a nice house. I want to be successful. I want to have lots of friends. 
I want to binge watch my favorite shows. I would watch every Purdue sporting event I could if I had the time. I want to stay up too late and be a morning person all at the same time. Oh, I'd really like that one. I want to still be able to dunk a basketball like I ever could. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, you know, it's just, it, we, we need the five loaves and two fish so that I can stand on them when I jump. I'm going to want dessert after lunch today, right? Like, there, there are things that myself wants all the time. Sometimes I want you to laugh at my corny preacher jokes, right? Like, we want things, our self wants things. And so this first idea of denying self, man, it's, it's, it kind of gets up in your chili. It's a little more intimate than we realize because it's this call to tell yourself no in the moment, trusting that there's long-term good. It's these little micro-sufferings where we deny ourselves this pleasure, maybe the pleasure of one more episode of your favorite show at night so that you can get up earlier and read the Bible in the morning. We deny ourselves that job promotion so that we can be involved and in, more involved in raising our kids. And, and there's a little suffering in that, right? Like, it's, it's hard. It's a denial of self. We, we deny ourselves that desire to, to overindulge on alcohol so that we can remain clear-headed in, in all the things in our relationships with God and others. We, we deny the dessert that I want, right? So that we can preserve health. Not just for our sake, but so that we can join Jesus wherever he calls us. We deny what the self wants. And that's, that's good. It's the first step of, of moving forward in faith with Jesus. At, at its very core, like if we can't do that, we can't follow him. Life becomes so much clearer the more we can deny self and the more that we pursue Christ. But all of us know this to be true, too. Simply telling ourselves no isn't enough. It's not enough to navigate everything that happens in our broken world. Like, uh, we're not going to be monks, or like, we, we, there's no way to say no to everything in yourself. And so the next step in moving forward with our faith as we learn to deny ourselves is to, to learn what it means to take up our cross daily. <clears throat> there's um, these old, like 400 square miles plus of uh, old minefields from the Balkan War in Croatia and Bosnia, yeah, that one. And uh, that's a problem, right? Like, can you imagine that being where you live and you look out over this beautiful field on Eminence Pike and then you're like, oh yeah, by the way, there's like a thousand mines hidden out there. And, and so they've got this, this huge problem in their country and uh, nobody wants to go first. <laughs> and so they, they, they don't want people to accidentally set off these landmines and they needed a way to make these minefields safe for people to journey through and, and all the things. So about a decade ago, they decided they were going to train honeybees. True story. They began to add TNT to honeybee food, and they trained them to go where they smelled TNT. They would then release these honeybees into the minefields and watch as the bees led them to the mines. Kind of a crazy concept, right? Uh, problem was, like standing on the side of the field and mapping that out by visual sight was really tough. <laughs> Like, how do you follow a bee? So recently, they've added a drone element to it, and drones are now hovering above, mapping out exactly where bees congregate to discover where these mines are. Why do I tell that story? If I were walking there, I'd want one of their maps. Wouldn't you? 
I would want one of their maps. At the very least, I'd want them to guide me through the field. Like, nope, bees over there. The point is this. You stay close to the one who knows where the mines are. If I'm called to take up my cross daily, to, to walk towards my death, I want the one who's taken up his cross and defeated death to show me the way. Taking up my cross daily is learning to die to myself and walk so closely with Jesus that every, ta- every step he takes, I'm with him. I'm in his footprint. In the minefield that, that is life, I, I don't want to guess where I should step. I want to take up my cross with Jesus. I want to step where he steps. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity talked about this idea of taking up your cross. He, he, he said this, he said, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent, as well as the ones you think are wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. When we give our whole self to following Jesus, it doesn't mean that we won't sin. But it does mean we don't have to be defensive when our sin is noticed. Following Jesus, taking up our cross, means that we can walk towards the punishment for our sin, knowing that Jesus has already paid the price. Y'all, this this changes everything about picking up our cross because now we can expose our sins without fear of death. We can confess our sins to one another and find healing because we don't have to defend ourselves. We can kill ourselves by simply taking up our cross as our only defense. How would your life be different if instead of living in fear that your sin would be found out, you could day by day expose those sins and allow Christ to change them. So we move forward from picking and choosing things that we want to deny ourselves into this beautiful devotion of daily picking up our cross, of knowing that Christ is going first as our defender. And that moves us forward into what Jesus has next for us because on the other side of the minefields of life is the joy and freedom of resurrection in Christ. Jesus says in Luke 9, 24, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. And then he drives it home with this rhetorical question. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? (laughs) This is the crux of resurrection, of life in the place of death. But you see, this resurrection piece is tricky because we don't resurrect ourselves as much as we might try. Rather, we trust that Jesus will resurrect us. We trust that when we deny ourselves and take up our cross, that he will faithfully bring little resurrections all along the way that sustain us day by day, hour by hour, even minute by minute, reminding us that there is something better when we follow him. And what's crazy is that sometimes our daily taking up of the cross 
leads to resurrection in other people's lives. That just as Christ died for us, sometimes when we choose to die and to suffer and take up our cross, it means resurrection for someone else. In fact, I've been praying that this morning for each of you. In all of these areas of our life where we feel like death, where we deserve death, where we might even wish death, Jesus brings life again and again and again. And we don't have to be ashamed that instead of trusting ourselves, we're trusting in the Son of Man. You see, to live resurrected is to live unashamed. A couple weeks ago, I was needing to finish up my Bible readings for D Group with Justin and the rest of the guys. And that night, I had to take Tinley to a volleyball practice. And I was behind. It happens some weeks. And so I walked into volleyball practice with my backpack, and I found a spot in the bleachers. And then this overwhelming embarrassment came over me as I got ready to, to grab my big Bible and plop it on my lap with my journal. And I'm like, what? whoa, what? Why am I feeling this? The preacher shouldn't be ashamed of getting out his Bible. And I had to convince myself a couple of times to finally like reach down and pull it out and journal. I'm like, I could just, I could just do it on my phone and nobody would know what I'm doing. And then as I prepared this week, I got real nervous because I read Jesus' words in Luke 9, 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. Am I saved? I don't think that's why Jesus wrote this. You see, the enemy, he wants us to be ashamed. And Sometimes that may be getting your Bible out of kids' practice, but it may not be anything like that for you. It may have nothing to do with, with that. It might happen when you quietly walk away from a group of people who begin to gossip. You might feel ashamed when you pull out cash because you're trying to live on a new budget. You might feel ashamed when you make a choice that allows you to be a part of a worship gathering on Sunday instead of going and doing something else. You might feel ashamed when, when you endure through a hard season of marriage and everyone around you is questioning and wondering, how's it going and, and, and why, why are you still trying? You might feel ashamed when you, you pull up a different browser on your phone that has blockers that prevents you from visiting sites that, that you don't want to visit. Like there's, there's a million choices that we make in following Jesus that the enemy wants to throw false shame at. And in those moments, and we are so tempted to, to give up, but when you're tempted to give up, when you're feeling shame thrown at you by the enemy, we must remember that Jesus is never ashamed of those who believe. When Jesus carried his cross, he literally fell down in exhaustion. And falling down in exhaustion, he was shamed and ridiculed by most, and yet he didn't give up. Though he could carry his cross no further, the cross arrived at its destination on Golgotha, and Jesus was nailed to it to die. I'm not here to mince any words. Like when you deny yourself and when you take up your cross, it's exhausting. 
it will almost always bring you to your knees. Maybe it happens when you're hanging on to those early years of parenting. You're denying yourself more than you ever have as you take care of this little one, as you learn to give yourself to them. And, and day by day, you're denying yourself, taking up your cross, wondering when it'll be over, many days feeling like you can't take another step. Sometimes it happens when you're walking through a season of, of medical issues and, and you deny yourself of things in order to promote healing in your body. You endure day by day through the procedures and the unknowns and the medications and the surgeries and the doctors, and sometimes it just feels like you can't anymore. Maybe it happens to you as you're overcoming temptations and addictions in your life that are just brutal. They, they are beating at your door day by day. And the weight and work of denying yourself in those seasons is exhausting. And you're enduring judgment from those who don't understand why you're denying yourself. And, and you're being isolated from those you, who you love. And someday, sobriety just doesn't seem like something worth carrying. Maybe you're feeling hopeless in your marriage. It's like, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried to deny myself, but now it just feels like the journey requires too much of me and not enough of them. And you're exhausted. And you've tried to carry the weight of everything, but you just feel like you can't go on. Maybe secret sin has wrecked you. Nobody on the outside knows, and everything looks like it's all good and fine, but the weight of no one knowing that you're battling isn't made lighter through self-denial. You, you, you struggle to deny yourself. You're exhausted from the isolation of carrying the secret sin alone, and you're asking yourself, what now? What's next, Jesus? It surely can't be more denying myself and taking up my cross. And in those moments where we're tempted to give up and we're ashamed of where we are in life, my encouragement to you would be to utter the words that the thief on the cross said. Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. Because you see, in the thief's shame, in all his pain, both physical and emotional and relational and all the things, in the midst of all of that, the thief on the cross believed. 1 Peter 2.6 says, the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. You know what's next for the thief on the cross? Resurrection. Do you want to know what's next for you and me in Christ? Resurrection. And so you don't have to be ashamed that you've trusted Jesus and you want to proclaim that in baptism or to your neighbor. Like, needing to be baptized is nothing to be ashamed of. Resurrection is next for you. You don't have to be ashamed that you've trusted Jesus with your calendar and it's, it's going to start reflecting that your, your church family is a priority for your family. In those moments when you might feel ashamed of that, resurrection is next for you. You don't have to be ashamed that no one understands or gets why you would endure suffering or hardship to serve someone else instead of yourself because resurrection is next for you. You don't have to be ashamed that people respond negatively when you talk about Jesus and share the gospel because resurrection is next for you. Why? Not because of anything you've done, not because of how well you've denied yourself, but because you believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the one who always goes first. And you've just decided, I'm going to follow him step by step, moving forward into what's next, 
always trusting that a resurrection is coming. Let me pray. Jesus, lead us. Bring resurrection in this place. For some, save them from sin. Like for the first time, free them from the weight of trying to figure out how to get rid of all that sin and allow them to come and say, I want a new life, a resurrected life in Christ, a life that is unashamed to say that Jesus is my defender. For some, Lord, we, we are weary. Feels like we've been carrying a cross for a long time. Lord, give them resurrection. Give them, give them faith to follow you. Give them the courage to simply reach out and cry out and say, Jesus, remember me. I believe. Help my unbelief in this season of life. Spirit, lead us in this time of response. Speak truth to each heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, we hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.